Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi, welcome back. This is going to be for Luke chapter 14. A man with dropsy is healed on the Sabbath. Verse 1, it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. They were always watching Jesus to see if he would slip up. Notice that he even goes among the Pharisees uh, knowing that he was doing the right things. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had the dropsy. The dropsy is an abnormal accumulation of fluid in the cells, edema, often the result of a liver infection or heart disease, a disease in which limbs and abdomen are overly filled with fluid. Jesus takes control of the setting, and Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? His miracles testified of his divine mission and miraculous works wrought on the Sabbath day would be known to more people, discussed in more synagogues, investigated by more truth-seekers than those performed at any other time. That was by Elder McConkie. Verse 4, And they held their peace, and he took the man and healed him and let him go, and spake unto them again, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him to these things. Notice he keeps bringing up the same example. Verse 7, And he put forth a parable unto them concerning those who were bidden to a wedding, for he knew how they chose out the chief rooms and exalted themselves one above another, wherefore he spake unto them, saying, When thou art bidden or invited to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more favorable man than thou be bidden of him. It is better to maintain a low profile. And he who bade thee with him who is more honorable, come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. Who, who bade thee? Who bade thee uh, sit at meat with thee? For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he who humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus here summarizes the whole plan and purpose of this mortal probation. It is to test men and see whether they will seek for worldly things, wealth, learning, honors, power, or whether they will flee from pride, humble themselves before God, and walk before him with an eye single to his glory. Verse 12, Then said he also concerning him who bade to the wedding, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, an idiom meaning not only thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them who sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. This man believed that the maimed and the lame and the blind will not be in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus gives this parable. Then said he unto him, A certain man, meaning God, made a great supper, this is the gospel, and bade many and sent his servant, meaning Jesus, at supper time. This may mean the sacrament meeting accompanying the gatherings and meetings at Adam and Diamond that will precede the second coming, to say to them who were bidden, in other words, the covenant Israel, come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. 
One, our excuses today, our lineage is of Ephraim, but if we were not, if we're not humble and accepting the invitation to be righteous, we won't be at the supper. The first said unto him, I have brought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. In other words, cares or riches. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. This is the allurement of material things. And another said, I have, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. The pleasures of social and domestic life. So that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring hither the poor and the maimed, the halt and the blind. And he's talking about Gentiles here. Remember that Luke is a Gentile, said to the Gentiles that they also will be gathered into the covenant and be part of the kingdom of God. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto, the, unto his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges unto everyone, and compel or urge men to come in, that, the, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men who were bidden that shall taste of my supper. Elder Talmadge said that the invited guests represented the covenant people, or house of Israel. The servant is Jesus, the feast is the gospel. Do we make excuses to rationalize our occasional or constant unwillingness to partake of the fullness of the gospel blessings? What excuses do we use for not reading the scriptures or doing our home or visiting teaching or not going to the temple? I know, I know, it's not called home teaching anymore. I'm old school. Verse 25, And when he had finished these sayings, he departed thence, and there, were great mul there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, or husband, yea, in his own life also, or in other words, is afraid to lay down his life for my sake, cannot be my disciple. He doesn't mean to hate here. He says, not hate in the sense of intense aversion or abhorrence, such as contrary to the whole spirit and tenor of the gospel. Men are to love even their enemies, to say nothing of their own flesh and blood. Rather, the sense and meaning of Jesus' present instruction is that true disciples have a duty toward God which takes precedence over any family or personal obligation. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. Neil Maxwell said, There is a special sense of urgency infusing itself into many church members everywhere that says, quietly but insistently, this is the time for us to choose. It is not just that God will insist that we choose for our own sake, but that those who depend upon us or, who, or use us as a reference point need, to, uh, need and deserve to know which way we are going. It is no good posing as a lifeguard if one is not a, is a non-swimmer. It is no good being a guide if one leaves his post and wanders with the multitude in search of another way. For there is none other way, especially at a time when there is a sharper and sharper divergence in the way of the world in the straight and narrow way. The disciple must not only stand in holy places, but on holy issues, and not be moved. In short, the events of our time and the spiritual decay in the world have produced for us the equivalent situation faced by many of the disciples who followed Jesus. They followed him until he began to preach the hard sayings, the doctrines that really demand not only belief, but performance, doctrines which would distinguish them from their contemporary society. The Lord wants us to put some distance behaviorally between ourselves and the world, not because we love mankind less, but precisely because we do love men. It is for the world's sake that we must sanctify ourselves. When Jesus' followers faced their moment of truth, John records, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus turned to the remainder and queried, Will ye also go away? 
Verse 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wherefore, settle this in your hearts, that ye will do the things which I shall teach and command you. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not first down, and counteth the cost, whether he have money to finish his work? Converts should consider the cost before joining the church. Lest, perhaps unhappily, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish his work, all who behold it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And this he said, signifying there should not any man follow him, unless he was able to continue saying, Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an an embassage or an embassy, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Bruce R. McConkie said, This law of sacrifice is summarized by the prophet in these words, For a man to lay down his all, his character his and reputation, his honor and applause, his good name among men, his houses, his lands, his brothers and sisters, his wife and children, and even his own life also, counting all things but filth and dross for the excellency of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, requires more than mere belief or supposition that he is doing the will of God, but actual knowledge, realizing that when these sufferings are ended, he will enter into rest, into eternal rest, and be a partaker of the glory of God. A religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary to lead unto life and salvation. For from the first existence of man, the faith necessary unto the enjoyment of life and salvation never could be obtained without the sacrifice of all earthly things. It was through this sacrifice and this only that God has ordained that men should enjoy eternal life. And it is through the medium of the sacrifice of all earthly things that men do actually know that they are doing the things that are well-pleasing in the sight of God. When a man has offered in sacrifice all that he has and the tr- for the truth's sake, not even withholding his life and believing before God that he has been called to make this sacrifice, because he seeks to do his will, he does know most assuredly that God does and will accept his sacrifice in offering, and that he has not or will not seek his face in vain. Under these circumstances, then, he can obtain the faith necessary for him to lay hold on eternal life. It is vain for persons to fancy to themselves that they are heirs with those who can be, who can be, who can be heirs with them who have offered their all in sacrifice, and by this means obtain faith in God and favor with him, so as to obtain eternal life, unless they in like manner offer unto him the same sacrifice, and through that offering obtain the knowledge that they are accepted of him. From the days of righteous Abel to the present time, the knowledge that men have that they are accepted in the sight of God is obtained by offering sacrifice. Those then who make the sacrifice will have the testimony that their course is pleasing in the sight of God, and those who have this testimony will have faith to lay hold on eternal life, and will be enabled through faith to endure unto the end and receive the crown that is laid up for them that love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who do not make the sacrifice cannot enjoy this faith, because men are dependent upon this sacrifice in order to obtain this faith. Therefore they cannot lay hold upon eternal life, because the revelations of God do not guarantee unto them the authority so to do, and without this guarantee faith could not exist. And again, that was by Joseph Smith in the Lectures on Faith. Verse 34, Then certain of them came to him, saying, Good master, we have Moses and the prophets, and whosoever shall live by them, shall he not have life? And Jesus answered, saying, Ye know not Moses, neither the prophets, for if ye had known them, ye would have believed on me. For to this intent they they were written, for I am sent that ye might have life. Therefore I will liken it unto salt, which is good. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? 
Salt does not lose its savor with age, rather its savor is lost through mixture and contamination. It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill. Men cast it out. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. These things he said, signifying that which was written, verily must all be fulfilled. And that's the end of the chapter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.